0: Hello there! Welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. This week I had the pleasure of being joined by Siddharth Singhai, Chief Investment Officer and co founder of Ironhold Capital, who are based in Manhattan, New York. In this episode, Siddharth discusses his investment style and strategy and also talks his thesis, divesting into high quality companies that are well managed that he thinks can keep compounding for many years to come. This was a great episode, and I think you'll really enjoy listening. Before we begin, make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployedfm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Also, if you listen to this podcast on the Apple Podcast Player, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a review as the feedback is extremely useful. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Siddharth. Hi Siddharth, thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: Thank you for inviting me, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Can you provide an overview of Ironhold Capital? What is the investment style?
1: Sure, so we're a value-based hedge fund. Uh, much similar to Mr. Warren Buffett, we also aim to acquire high quality businesses for cheap, and our job is basically to make sure our investors own high quality businesses both in u s and India, and we hold them for the long term as we believe that buying high quality businesses, holding them for the long term that has generated most of the wealth, if you look at historically. Uh, for all the people on that post, 400, 500 list. And, um, you know, that's what we aim to do.
0: And what type of businesses do you like to invest in? What are the characteristics you're looking for?
1: We want dominant businesses. Dominant as in they enjoy great competitive positioning. That could be because of a number of reasons, economies of scale, that huge switching costs, got a great brand. In addition, we want these businesses to earn higher returns on invested capital, which is sort of, you can say it's a technical term for quality of a business. And they should earn ROIC, well in excess of what other businesses earn and their cost of capital, both. And we want them to earn that ROIC while employing modest to no leverage so that these businesses are in a sense recession proof or very well protected from recessions if not recession proof in addition we want these businesses to be run by great management teams people who are going to take capital allocation decisions that will be beneficial to the minority shareholders since we don't get to control the business we can only trust the management Uh, we'll do the right thing. So those are sort of broadly what we look for.
0: And how do you source your ideas?
1: So we've got a proprietary screen that screens for quality, cheapness, and safety or balance sheet. And that gives us a universe of about 100 or so stocks. And then we look at certain sectors that we think May not be within our circle of competence or may not be predictable. So, something like oil and gas. We'll make very few investments in the oil and gas sector typically because you can't really predict what the cash flows are going to be moving forward. So, what we'll do is we'll take a cursory look at what the business does. And if it's something that you can't predict, right, Uh, oil companies, extraction companies, they live and die by oil prices. And as such, there's no real way to judge what the oil prices are going to be two, three years from now. So we kind of take a pass on them. So in a similar manner, there are a lot of businesses or industry sectors or subsectors, which we just completely ignore. Banking is another one. Quality of a bank is pretty much dependent on what the quality of the underwriting is. So if you're writing loans for people who have bad credit, as an investor for me there's no way to judge if you're doing a good job with that or not so they sort of are unpredictable businesses in, in the sense that unless you really know the management well you just don't know what's going on sort of like a black box there so after the initial screen we screen for these nuances and then we're left with a universe about i would say 50 or 60 stocks and There, we find the most attractive 15, and uh, that's how we construct our portfolio.
0: And that's how many you usually hold. So, you're quite concentrated around 15 stocks. Yes, I mean, uh, we believe
1: if we let's say hold 50 stocks, we're going to be a mini index. So, nifty 50 index, 50 stocks, and you're going to be resembling an index. And our job is to Eat the index, and one way we can do that obviously is by picking superior businesses. Now, we're not going to find 50 superior businesses, that's just not going to happen. We'll just resemble an index. So, that's you know, that's the requirement. If you, if you want to do better than the average, you have to be more concentrated because you're picking far superior businesses. Yes, it might seem uh, very concentrated from the outside, but 15 businesses is way too much. I mean, think about it. if you own the best car dealership in the country, the best restaurant chain in the country, the best uh, paper company, best uh, semiconductor company, you know, and the best laundromat chain maybe, and the best, uh, let's say, car company would you be sufficiently diversified I think you would be and those are just six businesses so I think over diversification we try and avoid that and it has been proven to actually reduce performance without reducing risk Mr. Joel Greenblatt had a statistic in his book which is to say 16 stocks in well diversified sectors will reduce or will diversify away 92% of the portfolio risk? And then, if you go from 16 to, I think you mentioned around 500, you only reduce maybe 4% more portfolio risk, so 96%. But you give away all the returns. I think there's very little benefit that you can derive from owning more than 15, 16 businesses.
0: You mentioned India. There is India a country where you do find many companies that meet your requirements, good, good quality businesses at a good valuation.
1: We do find these businesses from time to time. Yes, of course, you have to be a little more careful with India because there are certain sectors which are more prone to bad management, like construction, is uh, one; lending is the other. So we try and avoid those, but. There's certain sectors that are just going to do well long term, and we try and find the best player in that sector. So if I think automobiles is going to do well, which if you look at percentage penetration of automobiles in India compared to other countries, huge growth. It's just way underpenetrated. So huge growth possibilities. And now we just need the right company within that sector. Yes, from time to time we do find businesses that meet all our criteria. No. it's really not very different in comparison to the u s apart from it's a slightly different economy, but it's very similar to the u s
0: okay, so if we if we can jump into your portfolio, can you talk through two of those uh, two stocks in your portfolio that you are bullish on for the long term, and what was your thesis for investing?
1: Sure so One of them is an Indian company, HDFC AMC, which is a mutual fund in India. And why am I bullish on it? If you look at the mutual fund sector in India, if you just look at the penetration of the sector, less than 10% of the population is invested in mutual funds. And that is at this bubble peak, as we speak. On average, only 2 or 3% of the entire population was invested in the markets. Reason being, the markets weren't sophisticated enough. And also, you know, disposable incomes weren't quite where you would hope them to be. So now, if you contrast that with the U.S., almost 50% of the population invests in the mutual fund industry here, or the stock market at large. So that immediately shows you that there's a lot of growth left. Huge percentage of the population that's not investing that will invest. And in addition to that HDFC is as a market leadership in mutual funds and it's sort of a oligopoly there are few other players ICICI and a uh, few others that are comparable in size and then the smaller players like Occupy 10% of the market and every other H- uh, mutual fund is sort of competing for that 10% so you have these three or four big players and then these tiny players which are not really much of a competition now why is that the case it's a mutual fund right mutual fund really has very little fixed expenses when you think about it yes you have the office and uh, you know you can expand those offices but there's no R&D there is no huge fixed costs, you don't need to build out some plant or machinery. You're, mainly all your costs are marketing and the salaries that you might pay which is a tiny percent of the revenue. So every incremental customer they bring in uh, they can do so for way cheap. So they achieve this huge economies of scale and they have done that over time that gives them a cost advantage. So. They could just charge some 0.5% and still be in business and uh, still be making money when their competitors who don't enjoy that scale benefit, they'll have trouble keeping up with them. So, they haven't had to cut the fees yet because of the growing demand. But even if uh, the demand stops growing and the industry matures, HDFC will be in a great position. Regardless, because of scale. So that's the big factor driving the success of uh, that business. And for the second business, we really like Lamb Research Corporation. It's an US company. They provide fabrication equipment for manufacturing of semiconductor based devices, which is to say, semiconductor should be. It can be explained as a little on and off switch, right? That allows you to transfer electrons from one place to another when it's heated up somewhat. And it's used in everything. It's used in, if you have a digital watch, it's using semiconductors. If you have a Tesla with uh, collision detection, that's using semiconductors. Our phones, uh, laptops, virtually everything. In the future will have some semiconductor you know as things become smarter right so it could even be your refrigerator in the future it also has a semiconductor so anytime you have to calculate anything temperature velocity distance you need semiconductors so the sort of a building block of computing so their future is obviously bright and this is not even considering the computing needs of artificial intelligence so semiconductors are going to be in demand for a very long time now within that industry we think lamb research you know they have these manufacturing methods or equipment that they've invented and they've been around for a long time that allow you to manufacture Semiconductors. It's sort of a complicated process. They do a bunch of, uh, they take silicon wafer, right, and they cut it, and then they put a little circuitry on it, which is really what makes a semiconductor. And uh, they do so in a very high end manufacturing facility where even if you breathe, the particles that you will release will interfere with the manufacturing. And that is the advantage for LAM. You can't just come in and compete with them. It takes a lot of capital, upfront capital, fixed costs, to build out those facilities. They're very expensive. And the second thing is they've been doing it for more than two decades now, which is to say they have economies of learning, so they've achieved optimum efficiency in the manufacturing process, which if I'm a competitor, would be way hard to replicate. So they have superior demand, prospects, semiconductors are gonna be in demand for a long time. They don't have any competitors. They are a monopoly in certain segments of the products product line and a duopoly at most in others. <clears throat> so there's no real competition. They have economies of scale and economies of learning, both working together. So it makes a very formidable business. Last year was trading for really attractive valuations, temporarily depressed uh, in terms of demand. So the entire industry was undervalued. But it still has great growth left moving forward. So that's the other one.
0: Yeah, the metrics for LAM research look very impressive and um, great. Dividend growth as well. We've had a few uh, guests come onto the show and mention semiconductor companies. So that's great. Thanks for sharing those two companies. Is there a person that you have met or followed, possibly a mentor, or even a book you have read that you think has made you a better investor?
1: Sure. I mean, Mr. Joel Greenlack. Actually, I've read his book and I've met him. And uh, he was actually kind enough to invite me to his Eshwan, Autumn Asset Management, here in Midtown Manhattan, uh, a long time ago. And uh, his head of business development, Mr. Clint Kugler, was nice enough to show us the strategy. And I just had a few technical questions, and they were very generous enough to invite me to their fund and answer all those questions. And his book. And he's got two great books so one is you can be a stock market genius which is a special situations focused book the other one is the little book that beats the market he discusses his magic formula in that book and that's been super helpful as well that's sort of a part of our screening as well and um, so yeah mr Greenblatt, it's been uh, formidable i would say for us in the uh, especially my investment developments, you know, and learning over time.
0: That's great. Yeah, I've read both of those books, and they're both both excellent reads. So where can listeners go to find out more information about you and Ironhold Capital?
1: So they can go to our website, ironholdcapital.com, and they can leave a query there, or they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just Siddharth Singer, you person, last name, and or Paul Gray, who's my business partner and CEO, and so they can reach out to us there.
0: Okay, pretty. Yeah, Siddharth, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a, a pleasure to listen to you.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here.